Hello, church. Whether you're here or watching it online or Speedway Campus, let's give some praise to God that we have the freedom and the privilege of worshiping God, whether in a, in a building or watching online. Can, can we give God a little praise? This is exciting because here's the deal. Every single week since we've been back in the building, the numbers keep going up in, in, in physical uh, gatherings as well as online. I think that God is up to something super special uh, right now for such a time as this. Amen. Okay, the year is 1984. The month is January. Roseanne and I had been married for two years, and I just finished the first semester of a four-year master's degree program in theology at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. We are sitting in Roseanne's doctor's office, and he says these words to us. You are pregnant. And my eyes got as big as grapefruits because Roseanne knew that I was going to struggle. And I go, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. The budget wasn't already working. It's definitely not going to work now. The school thing's not going to work. And I, at 23 years of age, am not ready to be a dad. I mean, when are you ever ready to be a dad, right? Fast forward, August 22nd. 1984, the same year, Jennifer enters into the world and I loved her from the very first moment I set my eyes on her. Take a look at this pic of one of the, in the earlier days. There we are right there. The idea of family is a brilliant idea. I mean, think about it. In the first year, they eat they poop and they sleep, repeat, eat, sleep, poop. And then you get to the terrible twos, right? This is when you learn that your precious baby is a sinner. <laughs> then you fast forward, okay, to the junior high years. What is that all about, right? And then you go to the high school years and they think you're stupid, right? And then there's one day they just pick up and leave you, and all you do is sit around and worry and think about them. What's up with that? Total cost of raising a kid today, $150,000. Let me ask you a question. Who is up for that kind of an assignment? I'll tell you who. Parents. Because this is God's vision. God designed us in such a way biologically and chemically, I'm not kidding you, check it out, where when we have children, we have a natural love for them. And the more we move towards them, the more biologically and chemically we are drawn to them. For men, if a man moves toward his child and begins to show love to them, it releases chemicals in his body, a, a bonding that makes him even closer to them. This is God's design. It is an idea that God has created to sustain humanity as well as to prepare the next generation to flourish. This is his plan. Now, did you know that right now there are organizations in America that are seeking to systematically deconstruct the nuclear family? As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a quote right out of the web page of one of these organizations, word for word. Take a look. We, this is their beliefs, 
we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We are going to disrupt the American family. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be a part of a church that's going to fight to preserve God's vision for family? You do? Well, you are in the right place because this has always been Westside's passion, but we are going to take it up to another level of commitment. Amen? Amen. But here's the newsflash. I mean, literally, a newsflash. Atlantic Monthly article, March 2020, came out uh, entitled, The Nuclear Family Was a Failure. As a matter of fact, if you have your Westside Family Church app, which I encourage you to download, if you're going to stay a part of the church, you're going to need a Westside Family app, and you go to gather and you go to the notes for today, the very top of the notes section, there's a link to this article. This article is very well documented, written by a guy I respect by the name of David Brooks, and, um, and he's basically saying this experiment of the nuclear family in America has failed. I actually agree with him. Before you start throwing things at me, I want you to give me a chance to explain. By the nuclear family, I am referring to a husband and a wife with an average of 2.5 children living under the same household or the same roof. This concept of a nuclear family uh, emerged in America in the 1920s. Prior to the 1920s, we had what sociologists call the corporate family, the corporate family. Now, keep in mind, for most of human history, not just in America, most families were agrarian or they were farmers. So it was very common for there to be a husband and a wife, seven to nine children, three to four generations living under one household with aunts and uncles and cousins living nearby. And within that household, there was often apprentices, farmhands. And in the days of yesteryear, there were even servants and they made up one large household and support system. And even though it was often an invasion of privacy, there was in fact a support system for the family. Then... In the 1920s, in America, factories began to emerge, like Henry's Ford's famed uh, factory to create the Ford Motor Product in Detroit, Michigan. And nuclear families, a young mom and a dad with an average of 2.5 children, would leave their extended family in search or chase of the American dream. And you know what? It actually worked. Stats tell us that these families that moved away from their extended family were able to see a 400% increase of income over what their parents experienced. But in the process of their economic advantage, they lost their support system. So that by 1960, 78% of nuclear families lived apart from their extended families. As a matter of fact, if you want to watch a film, PG-rated, uh, Barry Levinson's 1990 film, Avalon, actually gives you a picture of an immigrant family that experienced extended family and it fell apart. And here's what happens to these nuclear families that no longer have a support system. Crisis knocks on their door and stress rises and they are all alone in this crisis 
And as it turns out, the majority of nuclear families in America have not been able to survive without a support system. In 1950, 20% of marriages ended in divorce. As of today, 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. And the big losers are the children. As a matter of fact, today we have multiple generations after multiple generations of adult children who are walking around, who are wounded and broken and burnt by their nuclear family. And in fact, they're looking for an alternative to the experience that they were raised in. And you can now see that emerging in the American culture. Many of them do not have healthy mental, emotional, and spiritual foundations that they should have received from a healthy family experience. So in 2004, 33% of people between the ages of 18 and 34 chose to live together versus getting married. By 2018, that number ratcheted all the way up to 51% of people between the ages of 18 and 34 chose to live together versus getting married. And here's the deal. Whenever the live-in situation stops working, which by today's definition means stopped making me happy, which is not the definition that God has for marriage. You know, Roseanne would have split like 38 years ago if that were the definition of marriage. But whenever it stops making me happy, they're able to get out of the relationship without of all, all the legal hassles their parents had to go through when they got their divorce. And it makes complete sense to them. Now, for some of you who have experienced that, I mean, if the stats are right, as much as half of you have, my goal in saying all of this is to not pile any more guilt on you than you have already experienced. Maybe you made some mistakes and you know that it's painful, but maybe for some of you, it really wasn't as much your mistake. Your mate just went off the rails, maybe through mental illness, maybe through an addiction, maybe through some other thing. And you wished it would have been something else. And my goal is not to pile on more guilt to you. Do you understand me? You hear me? Okay. But I need to state the vision that God has. Now, the destruction of the nuclear family took place in England a number of years before it has taken place in America. So much so, back a few years ago, when I was invited to do a TV show called The World's Strictest Parents, produced and distributed through the BBC, the producer of the show came to me in an event, in an attempt to convince me to do the show. He said, Randy, the battle for the American family, I mean, the battle for the family in England has been fought and it has been lost and nobody is talking about it today. And what happened in England a number of years ago is right now happening in America and it's almost done. You say, Randy, if you believe that the nuclear family was a mistake or a failure, then why don't we join in with everybody else? I mean, in Texas, we say, if the horse is dead, dismount. I mean, if the nuclear family is a lost experiment, then why do we continue to support it? And I'll tell you why. The family is God's vision. If you've never seen it before, you're new to the scriptures. I want you to look at the 
creation of the family, God's idea. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There it is. It was God who performed the first wedding ceremony. It was God who gave the first bride away. And then he gave them this assignment. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. I know that I'm being Captain Obvious here, but let me state it. Without children, humanity dies. Without children, we become extinct. And God gave the job description to the husband and the wife to fill the earth, to populate the earth with little humans. Little human beings come out into our world from a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That's how little humans come into our world. Right? That's how it works. It's the birds and the bees. Okay? And if you're not familiar with it, talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you all about it. I actually Googled why they call it the birds and the bees, but it's not appropriate for consumption here today. <laughs> they came. Now, it is true that a little human being can come into the world in a relationship between a man and a woman outside of the covenantal relationship that God established, but we do so at the detriment of the child. Here are the current 2020 stats on fatherlessness. Here we go. 71% of all dropouts, they trace it back to fatherlessness. 71% of teenage pregnancies, they trace it back to fatherlessness. 85% of behavioral disorders, they trace back to fatherlessness. 90% of homeless and runaway children trace back to fatherlessness. 75% of teen substance abuse, fatherlessness. 63% of all youth suicides in America, they trace back to fatherlessness. 85% of people who are incarcerated today in America, they trace it back to fatherlessness. 75% of rapists today in America, they trace back to fatherlessness. If you are born into poverty and are raised by married parents, you have an 80% chance of climbing out of it. Those are facts. The problem isn't with God's original design. Trust God. This is the big aha for those of you who are new as followers of Jesus. You don't understand why God puts this on us, but you have to trust him. He's moving you in the right direction. Don't throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. Let's tackle the real problem. The nuclear family cannot make it on its own. The pressures are too great. 
And these pressures are mounting ever so much more, as the writer in Hebrews says, as the day is approaching. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The problem today is not with God's design, but with the removal of support. If you are considering becoming a part of the Westside family, either at a physical location or continuing with us online, wherever you may live, here is a renewed value that you're going to hear about in two weeks. It's simply stated, God's word, we live and die by it. As we said last week, we are not anti-cultural, but rather we are countercultural. And for some of us who are a little bit older, this has been a shift in our lifetime because there was a time in America where following God's word made a lot of sense to people. It was accepted, but now it is considered countercultural that someone would abandon their lives to the truths of scriptures. We are committed to the very end to trusting God's word and following it when we don't like it and following it when we don't understand it because he is a good, good father. And he will lead us to a better place beyond our finite mind's understanding. God created the idea of family. If you're writing this down, write this down. God never intended the nuclear family to go it alone. So I want to take a look at the Bible and the Bible's concept of family. Let's start in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word for family or house or household is the Hebrew word bait, B-A-Y-I-T. And like we saw upwards to the 1920s here in America, it included extended family and included all others who were part of that household. So in Israel, if you would, imagine with me a nuclear family, a mom and a dad and a handful of kids, and surrounding them is their extended family. And then surrounding the extended family, there is the tribe, the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah. And then surrounding them was the nation of Israel. They had multiple concentric circles that were all committed to providing support for that nuclear family. As we turn the page to the New Testament, this idea of family extends into the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word for household is the Greek word oikos, oikos. And there are multiple examples of this. I call your attention to Acts chapter 16, where there are two examples of it. The second example you can read about later today is of a jailer who has this miraculous experience when Paul and Silas are in prison and an earthquake breaks out and this guy's going to lose his life because they're going to escape. And Paul and Silas stay in the prison and this guy's so blown away that it says that he and his entire household, which not includes his wife and children, but everyone in his household were baptized and became followers of Jesus. But the one I want you to pay attention to is the very first one. Paul and Silas come into the city of Philippi, which is modern-day Turkey, and they are preaching the good news about Jesus. And in the crowd that day, there is a businesswoman by the name of Lydia. And it says to us in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, she opened up her heart to respond to Paul's message. And by the way, for some of you who are hearing right now and you've not quite crossed the line of faith yet, this is what you need to do. You need to open up your heart to receive the message. To say, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna let a, I'm just gonna let a, a piece of hope possibly enter in that this Jesus guy is the answer. And she did that. And in the very next verse, verse 15, it says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. 
Now, the observation here about Lydia's household is that Lydia is single. She's either single, never married, or she is a widow, but her household is made up of extended family members and others that were supporting the corporate enterprise of her, of her uh, business. And uh, this is her oikos, this is her household. In God's vision, the nuclear family was always wrapped with support. Now, here's something you need to know. In the first century, the first people to become followers of Jesus were Jewish because the church erupted in Jerusalem. And even though the Jewish people, Israel, were the ones who brought us Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the vast majority rejected Jesus in favor of continuing on in Judaism. And so whenever a family in the first century, Jewish family, decided to trust Christ and be baptized publicly, like say in the Jordan River, oftentimes their extended family would disown them. And this is where the church came in. The church came in and provided that wraparound support that they needed. They didn't just do it for the nuclear family where there's a husband and a wife and 2.5 kids, but they did it for widows. Read Acts chapter 6 and 7. There was an enormous number of Greek widows that were coming to these little house churches and needing support, and the church just wrapped their arms around them. But it also provided uh, for households like Lydia's, who was a single woman. This is where we come in as well. I believe that God is calling Westside Family Church to a fresh vision. And that fresh vision is to take the best of Westside Family Church's past and usher into the future that best of who we are and yet take it to another level. And here's what we're doing. We are believing that what God did in the first century, he can do again in the 21st century. Is anybody believing me in that? And boy, do we need it like right now. I have never seen so much chaos and disruption. We have placed this renewed sense of vision and direction on these little bracelets with five symbols. And some of you have received them the last couple weeks and you're wearing them. I'm starting to see people out in the Kansas City community wearing them. That's what I want to see happen. If you didn't pick one up and you're here at Lenexa or Speedway, make sure you get one. Get more than one and pass them out. If you're watching online, some of you have already done this. It's really cool to see. But you just simply go to the Westside Family Church app. You'll see a picture of these bracelets. Click on it. You fill out the form and our team will mail it to you. And on this bracelet, there are five symbols that are answering four really critical questions. The first question, who are we? That's important. The second question is, why do we exist as a church? The third question, what are we trusting God for? And the fourth question, how will we get there? And if you've been here the last two weeks, we've covered the first two, and it is my intent that as a church community, as a family, that we will all be on the same page, united, moving in the same direction. So assignment number one, everybody must memorize this. And when you memorize it, I don't want you just to say rote words, but rather I want it to come from a visceral place in your soul over time. So if you remember, we talked about who we are. Does anybody remember the answer to that? That's that first symbol right there. Who are we? Say it with me. We are God's family. That second symbol here with the cross in the center, with the circle, with three different colors. 
Why do we exist? What is our mission? It has three, uh, it has three, uh, a threefold focus. Ready? If you know it, say it with me. Loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. Okay? So when we put it together, it's we are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. Say it with me. Ready? We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. Now, what is our vision? What are we trusting God for? If we could take a picture today and a picture five years from now, what's going to be different about the picture five years from now? Here it is. This is what we believe God has created in us. Are you ready for it? Our vision includes a house with a cross in the middle of it. Our vision to raise up Christ-centered families. We think that's why we exist. We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. Why? To raise up Christ-centered families. This is our vision. Where? That's the next little symbol. It's a world with our little city in it, right there in the world. Where? In our city and beyond. So when you put them all together, if you know it, say it out loud with me, okay? Ready? Here we go. We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus, to raise up Christ-centered family in our city and beyond. Now the question is, how in the world are we going to do that? i tell you how we're going to do it. We're going to look back in Scripture, and we are going to design our strategy for accomplishing our mission right out of the pages of Scripture. How are we going to get there? Here's how we're going to do it. By wrapping God's family around your family. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to wrap God's family around your family. This is the vision that God has given us as in a church. And again, I state what God did in the first century was, was a miraculous. It, people were filled with awe at the transformation that was going on in the people's life. What God did in the first century, we are trusting he's going to do in the 21st century. But not just with, with traditional nuclear families, that is with a, a husband and a wife and 2.5 children, but with all types of baits, all types of oikos, all types of households, like Lydia's house, where she was single, or the widow, or single parents, or families who are fostering or adopting, or families that are caught in the downward cycle of poverty, where fatherlessness is rampant. Now, truthfully, the organization that I quoted at the beginning that's seeking to deconstruct the nuclear family, they also have the same strategy as we do. It's true. Let me put the quote back up again and see if you can see it. It reads, right off their webpage, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. So you say, so Randy, if they have the same strategy, what in fact is the fundamental difference between us? You want to know the answer? Jesus. The fundamental difference is they don't have Christ at the center. And Christ at the center of a life, Christ at the center of a bait, of an oikos, of a household, it makes all the difference in the world. Two reasons. Two reasons. If you were here last week, we showed how when we love each other, because we're connected to the first Adam, we pass on toxic love back and forth to each other. We're filled with conditions and stipulations and it's just kind of toxic. 
But in the new commandment of Jesus, he basically said, I want to pour my toxic-free, agape, unconditional love into you and then invite you to pour that toxic-free love into the people around you, beginning with your family and then extending out to even strangers. When you pass forward that kind of love, it transforms a life from the inside out. That's a difference maker. But can I, again, be Captain Obvious? The importance of having Jesus at the center of the vision is because Jesus provides forgiveness of sins. And with the forgiveness of sins, there comes eternal life. Eternal life. Now, many of us aren't thinking about that today. We're trying to get through the day, pay the bills, pass the mashed potatoes. No one's thinking about it, but at the end of the day, you will be so grateful that being aligned to the family of Jesus also included living forever. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's a difference maker, folks. You may not be thinking about it today, but one day you will. Today. After the service, we're heading to Cleveland, Ohio to celebrate Roseanne's dad's 92nd birthday. That's pretty cool, right? 92nd birthday. Oh, I can't tell you what you're going to do because he might be watching this. Okay, so, but we're also there to see Roseanne's younger brother who has a rare form of cancer called Markle cell carcinoma. And I'm going to try to comfort him because it's not looking good. Right now, because he is a man of faith, I can tell you that he is super excited that he centered his life not on the first organization I mentioned, but on the family that has Jesus at the center. So what is a Christ-centered family? I want you to take two more pieces of notes here. Ready? A Christ-centered family is a house where Christ is at the center. And that's why we have a cross with a house in it. Our vision is to see every single household, however it's made up, have Christ at the center of that family. He is the Lord of your life. Number two, a house that is living out the mission of loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. Every household is simply a microcosm of the bigger mission that Christ has given the church. And our challenge the prayer request I have, it is going to be difficult to get every member of your household in line with Jesus. This is the challenge. Everybody in the household on the same page spiritually. It reminds me of the story of the little girl who went to her mother and she said, Mom, how are humans made? And the mother said, well, God created Adam and Eve and they had children and all of us descend from them. Then she went later to her father and said, Dad, how are humans made? And he said, well, many, many years ago, there were monkeys, and we all evolved from them. And so she goes back to her mother. She says, I'm a bit confused, Mom. You said that, um, that we humans were created by God, and Dad says we were evolved by monkeys. And she said, oh, that's simple, honey. I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his side of the family. I love that joke, but it makes the point. It is super important that we get every member of your household in alignment with Jesus Christ. And this becomes our biggest challenge. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to pull that off? Um, that's what I'm going to talk about next week. 
I'm going to lay out a plan. It's not my plan. We're going to open up the book of Acts chapter 2. And that same pattern that we see that created such amazing results in the families, in the households then, we believe the same God, the same spirit that's stirring then is going to stir again. And we're going to pattern our entire strategy off of the scriptures. Can I get an amen? So we're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to give you a peek. But the real meal deal is going to start on September the 13th. We're going to open up the scriptures and dive into what I'm calling the Acts 2 revolution. I'm going to give messages on Sunday. But where the real experience comes from is going to be in smaller little groups. So whether you're in a men's group or a woman's group or current life group, any type of group, or maybe you're not connected yet, but you can think of maybe one or two households, whether they're singles or married with children, whatever, and you will come together beginning September the 13th for just six weeks. We're going to present to you a video-based curriculum that's going to give you the answer to the why of our strategy, the what, and the how, and you will actually be equipped as a community to experience what it means to wrap God's family around your family, but not just your family, but all the other families that are hurting. I can't wait for us to experience this as a church. I need to ask you to sign up though. If you go to the Westside Family Church app, you'll see uh, A2 Communities and you can just sign up. And as soon as you do, our team will have your information and we'll get back to you on how to get access to the video-based curriculum. I'm just asking for six weeks to give me an opportunity to literally train you on how to be an Acts 2 community. Okay, so that is your assignment. So here we go, before we wrap up, the whole bracelet. If you don't have it, let's look at it, okay? Here we go, just one Passionate sentence. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready? We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond by wrapping God's family around your family. When COVID-19 is over, we're going to give real family hugs. <laughs> Amen. That's really good. The big idea for the day is that you can't go it alone. That's a failed experiment. Don't repeat it. Whatever is the makeup of your household, you cannot, you cannot, you must not go it alone. Would you join this church in fighting for the survival of your household? We want to wrap God's family around your family. And the reality is many of the households who are connected to this church you are secretively struggling. And as a church, we have been really good at responding when we discover about the trouble that's in your household, whether it's an illness or a death or addiction uh, or uh, marriage trouble. We've been good to respond. We've been on the defensive mode. But here's the deal. Most of the time, when we hear about it, it's almost always too late. What if we were to get on the front end of that and spot it early? Oh, what a difference that would make. Yesterday was August the 22nd. The same day that our daughter Jennifer was brought into the world and we had the opportunity of being with her and her little nuclear family, her husband and her two children, our grandchildren, uh, to help them move into their brand new house 
And here's a pic of me with my daughter. And I tell you the truth. I love her even more than the very first day I set my eyes on her. She's now 36 years old. How did that happen? The idea of family is a brilliant idea. And all of God's people said, amen. We're going to enter into a time of worship now, a time to respond, both here as well as online. For those of you who are watching online, I'm going to be back uh, in a little room with Pastor Jason, and we want to have a conversation with you and answer some of your questions and keep you connected. So I hope you'll stay connected to us. And as we're worshiping here at Lenexa, as well as Speedway, and even online, our prayer partners will even come down during the worship time to be available. And uh, it's an opportunity for you if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never become a part of this family, of his family, this would be a good time to just reach out and ask them to help you. Or if you in your household is struggling, you're carrying a burden, I just encourage you to let God's family wrap his love around your family, even before you sign off today or you leave this place today. And then after the service, if you want to find out more here physically about our A2 communities, both here and in Speedway, we have people out in uh, the, the lobby that can answer questions for you. Amen? Okay, once you stand, and we'll be praying. And then we're going to get our worship on. Father, we thank you for the privilege of openly worshiping you in this great country. And Father, we know that we're living in days uh, that are very countercultural. The, 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 what you have given to us, and out of courage, we're going to continue to move in that direction. Right now, Father, I pray for anybody who's not entered into your family through receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would do that. And I also pray, Father, for any family, any household that is struggling, that they would not carry the burden secretively or alone, but they would let your family wrap the love of Jesus around their family around our household today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everyone in the church said, amen. amen.